Welcome to A Thousand Tiny Steps. I'm Barb Higgins, and in this podcast, I'll share personal stories of great joy and tragedy and the steps that brought me there. I have become adept at tracing them backward to find the origin of an event, good or bad, that has affected my life. I have gone from being on top of the world with Division I All-American success to being unable to get out of bed with the grief of losing a child and everything in between. I am painfully honest, which can make people uncomfortable, but discomfort brings growth and oftentimes tragedy brings joy. So tie, buckle, slip on, release up your shoes and join me as we begin our thousand tiny steps. Hey everybody, Barb Higgins here. Welcome to episode eight, season one of A Thousand Tiny Steps. So as I begin episode eight, I'm sitting here in a bit of disbelief that I've actually sat down in front of this computer to record podcasts. This is number eight. I am famous for starting and not following through. It's like, has been the story of my life. And really, if you want to rewrite the story of your life, you have to pick up a pencil. And this has been difficult for me. So I have a lot of positive feedback from a lot of people both around the content of the podcast and then the fact that I'm doing it at all. And then, of course, there are the other side of the fence, people that wonder why would I want to share all of these things with everybody. So I enter into today feeling uniquely not content. I've been content for a long time, but I feel, I feel good because I've actually completed something or I'm in the process of completing something that I set out to do, you know, early last spring, shortly after Jack's birth. So episode eight will wrap up season one. And season one has been mainly focused on Jack. Now, if you've listened to any of my prior podcasts, I talk about a lot of things other than Jack, but he has been the main focus of having a baby at 57, now I'm 58, changes your life. And, and people immediately think sleepless nights and diapers. And that is like the easiest, most insignificant piece of how Jack is changing our lives and how he's changing my life. Babies crystallize things. I've said that before. And you have this responsibility now. You've created a life. Here it is. And so you just realize that good, bad, or ugly, ultimately it comes back to you. So as a mother, that's an incredibly big responsibility. And, and having suffered the loss of Molly and the loss of baby Gordy, I often feel like, what, like, what am I being punished for? What is my failure? Where is my flaw? And we all have these things. We all have failures and flaws. That's what life is. I don't believe the universe punishes anybody. I think we punish ourselves. At least that feels that way to me. But I'm excited because wrapping up season one brings us into season two. And season two We'll take the next step. So if we go back to my podcast, A Thousand Tiny Steps, and how my journey in life when things happen is to trace the steps back, to see where it started. Where did this start? In tracing back the steps for Jack, it really brings us to the time of Molly's death, to 2016. And my thousand tiny steps to get Jack here <laughs> began then. And so what will happen next when I go into season two with Molly is now I'm at that day. I'm, at the, I'm just before my first step in creating Jack. And I'm in the midst of Molly. So that's where I'll go next. I will not have depressing, sad podcasts. I think in all of this, I, I can intersperse sadness with joy and grief with celebration. You have to in life, or at least I have to. I can't be just one or the other. To put it away and make believe I'm happy is no more healthy than lying in bed all day and never doing another thing. Really moving forward without Molly and Gordy and a lot of people is about balancing the good with the bad and the sad with the happy. So episode eight, Jack. So Jack is seven months old in a few days and seven months. Gracie and I look at pictures a lot and we think back to when he was so little, he had these skinny, skinny floppy arms and legs. You can see his little ribs because he was early and he hadn't gotten all pudgy yet. 
And sometimes we miss Skinny Jack because he was just so yummy. But now we have Pudgy Jack with all those wrinkles and folds in his belly and his cheeks and his sparkly eyes. And, and he's just a blast. And he's getting to that age now where he's interactive and uh, he looks at you and gives you faces. And his favorite thing, one of the, or what, what he does a lot is he'll be with, with one person and he realizes now that if he puts his arms up, that's a signal to pick him up and he'll go to, he'll put his arms up wherever he wants to pick him up. And then once the new person picks him up, he turns around and gives the former person that was holding him this smug look like, see, look where I am. It's hilarious. It's just hilarious. That's one of our favorite things to do is wait for his expressions. So coming into today, I have to say, if there's a word that I feel today, it's gratitude. It's gratitude for my podcast editor for mentoring me so well and getting me here and constantly asking me to think about what I want to tweak and how I might want to utilize something to move forward in a better way. And this, I think, is one of the pieces that has helped me back. I have a, a web designer, a web page manager, and we're just starting out and figuring out what do we do and how does this work? And these, are, these have always been hangups for me. So I'll start this podcast by reiterating what I've mentioned before, which is if you want to do something and you've got something standing in your way, find someone that can address what's standing in your way and then do what you want to do. So for me, it's sitting here in front of this computer doing a podcast. That's what I want to do. I found people that could make that happen for me. So that is really a big piece of my gratitude. Another big thing that I've done that doesn't really tie into Jack specifically, but it's happening now, is I redid my CrossFit Level 1 certification. I did it years ago. I was, hadn't even been involved in CrossFit for a year when I took the level one certification and I was never given the opportunity to coach. I didn't pursue it super heavily. You know, I had my own personal issues that sort of got in the way. I'm a good coach. It's what I like to do. So I got recertified and two of the people in my gym took the class with me, Justina and Jared. And so the three of us, of course, I'm old enough to be their parents. There's that. But you know, our gym is full of people of all ages. And so I've coached a few classes now and I have such incredible humility about it because the whole theory around CrossFit is, you know, you, you can't really have any assholes in a CrossFit gym because it just doesn't fit the philosophy of CrossFit. It's such a community-centered fitness program. And the whole purpose of the fitness is functional fitness to keep you able, keeping you able to function in your life as you age so that you don't end up in a nursing home or unable to walk or stuck in a chair. And so many issues that, that affect elderly people are caused by lack of movement, not, you know, lack of fitness. You don't have to be, you know, lifting weights 10 days, 10 days a week <laughs> to be fit, but moving around in a functional manner. And when you really analyze CrossFit, that's what it is. And so this gives me some ease of mind around Jack. I'm mean, not surprised that the CrossFit community is unbelievably supportive of Jack. That's where I am today with my gratitude that I'm doing the podcast, that I got my level one certification. The next piece for me, and I'm laying it out here because I need support and help and positive vibes really solidifying the Molly B Foundation. I've done, I've done the legal stuff and the, the bank accounts and the 501c3 and all of that, but I really need to look into, in, in an organized fashion, setting up annual fundraisers and, and events that, that she can sponsor to keep not only her spirit and energy and name alive, but to help kids that would need help being happy and finding their, their purpose and their safe place. And that was what Molly was all about. So these are the things I'm looking into as I wrap up, as I wrap up this season. So, okay, I have this little piece of paper here. See, it says, you got this. A little gift, a little congratulations gift from my podcast editor. So it's the Jack summary. And so I wanted to sort of just solidify and summarize things that really stood out for me as this process has gone along. So number one, the biggest thing I think for me is Jack's connection with Gracie. And not tell you what it's like to watch the two of them together. Kenny just got back from bringing Jack to big boy school and the owner loves him and Jen and she picked him up and smooching him up. And once Jack laid his eyes on Gracie, that was it. 
He wanted nothing to do with Jen. <laughs> poor Jen. And poor anyone that is second to Gracie when it comes to Jack. But they have a connection and it's mutual. It's not just Jack to Gracie. It's Gracie to Jack as well. You know, as I said, this was a tender, this was a tender thing for her, you know, me having a baby and all that went into it. Gracie and Jack has nothing to do with me. Their relationship is universal. I believe that love and all of my spiritual mentors and my spiritual team on the other side and Gracie's and Molly's are helping. The other thing that I can't, I'd be remiss is the connection with Gordy and Jack and Molly and Jack. So baby Gordy, you know, it wasn't until I lost Molly that I really, really brought back up all the memories of Gordy, baby Gordy. It was horrifying at the time, but I never got to meet him other than him being born sleeping and then teeny and then off to save other babies. And so I had a very short relationship with Gordy and it was easy, not that I ever forgot him, but it was easy for me to sort of put that away and sort of move on and focus on other things. Molly's death, having Molly around for 13 years, of course, changes <laughs> the whole mindset around a child in heaven. And so I believe that Molly and Gordy spend a lot of time together on the other side. I think that they're connected in a very special way. And I think the two of them look out for Jack. I know that they do. It's what I believe. So I, I feel that I know this to be true. I know we all have very different beliefs, which is actually helpful in formulating your beliefs. So the four of them, my four children, and I'm much more comfortable talking about them now, are really super connected in a way that they weren't before Jack arrived. You know, Gracie never knew baby Gordy and never knew much about him. We didn't talk about him a lot. It really wasn't until Molly died that that came up quite a bit. I mean, of course, her life was decimated by the loss of Molly. So Jack's effect on Gracie is profound. Worries about him. She wants to make sure he's okay. She loves him. She's so good with him. And, and it just solidifies for her how natural and wonderful she is with children. She's amazing. And she's smart and intuitive and sensitive. And she she can pull things together for him. So does it help me? Sure, it does. But not in a way like, oh, time on my hands, you know, tight, you know, jacks off my hands now. Not like that at all. It's just a relationship and a dynamic that is new and beautiful. So that comes out for Jack. He's really tied together my children's relationships with one another. They really do. Kenny and Gracie together with Jack. So that's sort of last on my list, but I feel like Gracie's relationship with Kenny is quite different when Jack is involved. They're much more equal. Gracie's an adult. And so she offers support around Jack, Kenny, and hangs out. Gracie and Kenny often go and tend to Molly's grave. It's something that they do together. So they brought Jack up last time. And I have this beautiful picture of him sitting on the grave, staring at Molly's stone and all those beautiful flowers. And Kenny and Gracie said he just sat there completely content, looked at the grass, looked around. And so he gets to meet, he gets to meet the physical representation of Molly in such a beautiful way. And it's wonderful time for the three of them to be together. And then there's Gracie and me and Jack in our time together. Most of our time together is here. We all play with him together. She, Gracie climbs into bed with us a lot and we snuggle Jack and we talk and you know, she'll play with him and then I'll play with him. And we have, we just have this wonderful time together. It's, it's sort of good night and good morning is Gracie and Jack and myself. And then Jack and Kenny on their own, you know, that's his daily walk. Now they have a relationship that, that is unique and, and Kenny strives to make it his. And then there's the mummy, me and Jack. So to be able to have the opportunity to relive the smell of a baby's neck and the feel of a baby nursing and hands on your face in the middle of the night as they're nursing back to sleep the little sounds they make when he is in the car seat. Sometimes I was putting out school board signs yesterday and he was in the car seat in the back and he woke up and he's talking away to himself and making noise. And, you know, I just look at these things as a gift. 
the first thing that comes to mind is all those relationships and that dynamic. Kenny and I co-parent very, very, very well. You know, I have my style, he has his style. We keep each other on each other's toes. I can be a bit controlling, I have to admit, and I get pissy and chip-chop, chip-chop, let's go. Because I, I always feel like I'm running around doing 90% of everything. But I think every mother feels that way. And quite honestly, I think we sort of have to do 90% of everything. So much of what needs to be done comes from nurturing that baby. That's been a huge change. I wouldn't have thought at 57 and 58 that I would be having a baby. My mother was 58 when Gracie was born. So, you know, and, and she spent a ton of time with Gracie, but she was the granny, the nanny. The next thing that comes to mind is probably a bit on the other side. So our life here in this house is happy and manageable as best as it can be. I probably think about Molly a lot more than I ever did. But thankfully, I have a different frame through which to look at her loss. And it isn't quite as difficult with Jack around. It's more activity to it. It's a much more dynamic relationship. I talk to her a lot more in, a, in the present tense, as opposed to, please come back, please come back. I mean, I, I say that too. But all of us here in our family have sacrificed some relationships in this decision. And one of my, one of the questions actually that my editor asked me once was, you know, discuss the, the balance between making a decision that you want to make and how it hurts others. And how do you, how do you make that okay? And sometimes you can't make it okay. I have a couple of, well, one in particular, a very close friend that we don't speak now and, and it's bizarre and it's much more, it's much deeper than just Jack, but it's the fact that there is a Jack that I would make this decision. It's difficult. It's very, very difficult. And, there, and, the, and sometimes those reactions, I know for me, I question everything all the time. I'm very much a people pleaser. So that's been difficult. Kenny's older kids, he's, you know, he, two of his three children have never met Jack. We didn't spend a lot of time together anyway. And they have babies that even before Jack, and there was even an idea of Jack in their minds, we didn't see them a ton. You know, we have busy lives and, you know, these kids are in their thirties and they have their social lives and they're all, all their friends and cousins and such have babies. And they do a lot of things together in that regard. Their mother's family is here in Concord. All of Kenny's family, aunts and uncles and cousins are in Pennsylvania and North Carolina and Florida, you know, all over the place. And so, and so that piece is difficult. So he's struggled with relationships with two of his children. I believe that family is family. And sometimes family is the place where you can really express your disagreement or your anger or your hurt. But a baby is here. <laughs> so in all of this, we've really focused on how do we want Jack to feel about himself and how do we want him to feel about his place in the world and providing him with lots and lots of opportunities to feel like he's part of a family. My family is unbelievably supportive. All of them. I think it's a bit of a, you know, I come from a, from a very, very big family. My mother's cousins and aunts and uncles. And we just recently went to a birthday party for my cousin. And so, you know, Jack was the only baby there. You know, everyone's, the cousins aren't quite enough to, old enough to have the next generation yet. And my generation is all them. <laughs> Boy, was he the star. And people were just thankful to meet him and happy to see how happy and healthy he was. It was interesting. But there's that balance. Things change. And I know that in my life, relationships, even casual ones, relationships in, in my CrossFit gym, relationships at my work, relationships everywhere alter and change because a baby is a big thing. I will say that I firmly believe that Jack is supposed to be here. And it's part of the reason I share him so much because I have to somehow honor, honor, the, honor the task, honor the barb, you need to have a baby. Okay, I'll have a baby. And now making it good. One of the stark differences between now and then, the next thing that comes to mind for me is the online piece. So when Molly and Gracie were born, Facebook hadn't even really come around yet. So you couldn't just go online and find a group of people just like you to talk about. And even as Facebook grew and developed, it took a long time 
for that aspect to happen. It was very social in the beginning. Now you can find a Facebook group for just about anything. And, and then you find a group of people that, that are like you and support you. So I have had unbelievable support from the breastfeeding support groups, from the local moms groups. I'm on a couple of mom pages in different towns just because, you know, where we live doesn't change our needs. And I have wonderful relationships with women I've never met and will likely never meet. But it's, it's super helpful. When I can't sleep at night, I'm not scrolling, you know, hateful things. I get, I get on these sites all the time and I just read other people's questions and people's responses. The modern day wet nursing, the sharing of breast milk, there's two or three different Facebook groups that do this. And there's a ton of online support around nursing your babies and ways to make your own nursing more effective and, and productive and how to ask for help. And, and I feel that part of my role as, as Jack's mother and having, you know, an entire generation of children that I've raised grow up is that I can be of support to these people, to these women. I have a couple of students that just had babies themselves and boy, the questions they ask and you know, they, they were health students of mine or track athletes. And so they know I'm going to tell them a very direct answer and make sure that it's honest and true and hopefully helpful. So that's been wonderful. You know, what used to be a, stu- a student teacher relationship is now a mother mother relationship. It's one of the things I like about age, not really mattering anymore. Another thing that's come to mind is my new CrossFit community, that mom strong class that I've become a part of. That whole connection was made because of Jack and him being on the news and somebody connecting me to that particular CrossFit gym. And oh my gosh, the women, the mothers and the things that I watch and see, my ideas around fitness and how to be healthy, my body functioning well, my ideas about fitness at my age and fitness for mothers and all the different health issues that can, that can affect women. And then the other piece of, of that, that particular class, my mom's strong class, is that Jack gets to see a facility, a weightlifting facility that when you walk in, you think of big tattooed men. He gets to see this place that has a lot of those big, strong tattooed men walking around, you know, supporting mothers and their children and parents and their children, really, in general. And that, that it's a normal thing to go to the gym a few times a week and work out and lift weights and get out of breath and be tired. That's how you stay healthy. So Gracie and Molly knew that I did things. I was still just primarily running until they were in elementary school. CrossFit for me didn't start until they were in like third and fifth grade. But they didn't come with me. They didn't see it on a regular basis. It's not something that they always saw as what was happening or what was real. So I love that aspect of it. And I'm working on sharing that with my gym here in Concord, starting a mom strong class and a a sort of a 45 minute boot campy style classic CrossFit that really addresses the needs of people as they age and the weightlifting can become detrimental. And you can do a lot of cross CrossFit quote unquote without always using a barbell. So these are things that Jack's arrival has, has brought. Probably another piece that can be tricky for me at times is the future. I've mentioned before, Molly's death obliterated any sort of future for me. I have recorded my life. I have running logs from every year I ran. When I started CrossFit, I had brought, I, when I went to the training, I brought my, my CrossFit binder from 2012 with me. I numbered, I recorded my first 350 CrossFit workouts, but they were how I felt all of it. And I thought I would do that forever. And I was very, very diligent about writing it down. And now we have software and you can record it on your phone. So I don't really have it written, but my day planner from 2016, from January to May, January, February, March, April, the first four months are full of my life. And then the, the pages are white. I just stopped, stopped writing anything down. To, to write something down without Molly there seemed horrific to me. It was like I was acknowledging that she was gone. And I will be honest, that's a hard thing to acknowledge in the beginning. It took me a couple of years to really, truly acknowledge that Molly was, that I had had her and that now she was gone. 
And so Jack's arrival in some ways magnifies all of those things. You know, I mentioned in one of my earlier episodes that when you're pregnant, you're always thinking ahead because you're, you're waiting for the next month to come and the next set of development, developmental milestones and what will the ultrasound show? So it's very, very forward thinking in a way that I haven't been able to do since Molly's death. And I have always been a goal setter. The first place it started to come back was in the CrossFit gym. You know, you know since, we, since 2019, since I started, you know, the brain tumors and all of this, in that recovery, I had to set goals. I had milestones I needed to reach in order to have this baby. That process has started up again. And so now I have a baby and, you know, I can't not plan. There are financial plans to be made. There, there are custodial plans to be made. And these are things I didn't even think about with Gracie and Molly, because as a young parent, you don't. You assume that you'll watch them grow up and you'll be grandparent to their children. And then suddenly trauma happens and it's not that way at all. So I'm a bit more meticulous about that with Jack, because I want to make sure that should anything happen to me or when something happens to me, he has what he needs at whatever developmental place he is in his life to be safe and happy. So all of those things weigh into my future for Jack. I'll be very, very honest. When I think of things like the first day of preschool and the first day of kindergarten, I can feel a bit overwhelmed because I do recognize my age. You know, people look at me like I'm nuts. And, you know, right now, day to day, I love having a baby in the house. It's a blast. And I get it. He's here, you know, I'll watch him graduate from high school. And I think about all of those things and the reality of, of what, how old I'll be at that time, how I'll feel. But I have a stark memory that comes back when I was teaching at Concord High and still friendly with Gene Connolly, who's the principal at the time. I would always give him Gracie and Molly's pictures, their little preschool pictures. They were pretty young when he first arrived. I was pregnant with Molly, actually, when he first started at Concord High. And we talked about their graduation years. And, and at the time, I said, you better still be working here. And little did we know that neither Molly or he would be alive when her graduation date came. But I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to be in my 50s then. And it seemed so old to me because I have a 20-year difference with my mother, you know, 21. So when, that, when I was 40, she was 61. 61 seemed ancient to me. That's my mother's age. So, you know, I'm 58 now. I only have a couple more years in my 50s and then I'm in my 60s. It doesn't seem so old now. And I think that's probably true for any of you who are listening. You really, you really just don't feel different inside. Like in my head, I still picture myself very different than I look in the mirror. I will be honest. So Jack's future, you know, I want him to have lots of mommies. And I did that with Gracie and Molly as well. It was easy with girls because they were in the dance community and all those dance moms became their moms. And when Molly died, Gracie got a lot of support from those women. So now who are Jack Jack's moms? Well, Gracie's involved in early childhood education. So her whole bunch of friends love Jack and they all have kids they babysit and places they work and they're very involved in babies. So I do feel that on a very, very sisterly level, Jack has 9 million aunties that will be there for him. Gracie's boyfriend, two of his siblings have children. You know, they're older than Gracie and Evan. She'll go, she'd go over with Jack and spend time with them and there's babies and people her age. Um, she just doesn't, isn't the mother. <laughs> kind of like being a grandmother, you can give the baby back. When I think of the future, I try to facilitate those relationships. So Jack will grow up knowing that he has people who love him and are there for him. You know, I have my family. Now, granted, my family, the people I'm super close to in my family are at my age or older. And so that, that doesn't necessarily help with the age piece. But I do have plenty of cousins who are younger than me that would step in in a heartbeat and be there for Jack, should that need to happen. You know, we have all of this. And then we have Kenny's family in Pennsylvania. Although they're far removed, you know, physically, you know, they keep in touch and all of this. So the future. I don't know. There's a big part of me that 
just thinks I can't do much about it except make today as good as possible. So that <laughs> so if I can if I can put together 18 years of great days, then the future will be fine because each day I'll be mindful and in the moment and having a good day. So, you know, there's so many pieces that fall here and there. But as, as we've gone along now, Jack has become a piece of it. He's a piece of who I am as a school board member. He's a piece of who I am as a mother. He's the piece of whom I am as an auntie and a daughter. He's a piece of who I am as a friend, as a teacher. Everything I do as an athlete, he's a piece of it all. I do have one goal, one future goal. So those of you that are familiar with CrossFit know that there, there's this big worldwide event called the CrossFit Games. And of course, as more master's athletes get good, there are more master, master's athletes competing. And so the master's division is pretty competitive now. And my goal is to qualify for the CrossFit Games when I turn 60. I'll give myself a couple of years to get fit and then be you know, in the older level master's division with a three-year-old. <laughs> it'll just be, it'll be my yay sort of moment. I guess those are my biggest goals. I mean, the primary goal is a healthy, happy life with Jack and to give Jack the tools he needs to center himself, to seek help from his spiritual team, to know that he's loved in a variety of ways, and to be able to advocate for himself and ask for help. Gracie, in all of her trauma, has become an amazing young woman. We had a TV crew here, a camera crew rather. They're doing a story for us, which will be on the parentingparents.com website. I think it's, they have all these different little shows and they do one about unique mothers. And the woman that was doing the interview and everything said to, said to me afterwards, boy, she is centered and she is wise. And, you know, the little Gracie that I knew growing up that was just wide-eyed and confused about everything sometimes, you can look at tra- trauma and it can decimate you, or you can take, take from it and plant yourself in it and grow and become strong. And that's what Gracie's done. So I think Gracie and Jack-Jack have an incredible future together. I think in the decades to come, they will be a wonderful part of each other's lives. The final sort of big thing, well, I have, a, I have two final things that kind of override everything. And the main focus of the TV specials, along with what it's like day to day and why I made the decision in the first place, is the process. I was, you know, I became pregnant at 57 and people are incredibly nosy, I find, and asking really personal questions. So to, to give sort of a blunt example, a lot of people really want to know the specifics of how Jack was conceived. And I just feel that that's Jack's business and our business as a family. And the miracle of Jack isn't in the creation of an embryo in a Petri dish. It's been happening for 40 years. I've said that before. That Not that it's not miraculous, but that happens all the time. That's an easy part of the IVF process is the creation of the embryo. What fails for people again and again is the ability of the embryo to grow inside of the body. That's where you ask any mother that's had to go through fertility treatment or IVF, where's the miracle? The miracle is nine months later giving birth to a healthy baby. And that's the part that's very, very tricky. And so that's what I like to focus on. So in my process, for those of you listening that this is your major focus for listening to my podcast in the first place, you know, having a baby in your fifties is is a big thing. Ask any grandmother that suddenly has custody of their children. Ask Hoda from the Today Show who adopted a baby in her fifties, you know, it's a life changer, but it's a wonderful life changer. But, and that piece of it isn't the hard piece. For me, being able to even have the opportunity to try to grow a baby at 57 was a huge miracle. I had a doctor that believed in me and followed the science. He followed the process. He would never have gone through with this if he thought for one minute there was a risk related to my age or my physical or mental well-being. It's a very thorough process. And there are doctors out there that truly want to help women. So if you're, if you're listening to me and you're 
you know, in your late 40s, early 50s, mid 50s, late 50s, and you're healthy and you think this is something you can do, the only way you'll know is to take that first step. And for me, because I'd already had children and it wasn't so focused on, I have to have a baby, I have to have a baby, I have to have a baby. For, for me, the whole dream was, even though the dream said you have to have a baby, for me, the process was that the whole focus was on the process to see if it worked. And if it hadn't worked, I just have to believe in my heart that it wasn't supposed to. That is not at all the case for couples that are struggling with infertility and can't get pregnant. It absolutely is about the baby and it's not okay for them, but it doesn't happen. Two very, di very different mindsets here. And when I talk to people about it, it's very evident in the conversations. I've spoken to so many people now that are contemplating IVF and trying to get over all the humps and, and decisions that you have to make to have a child. And some of them stop you for a while and then life goes on and you, and you turn around and you come back into it. One of the camera people that in a couple of our shows, one of the camera people had gone through the IVF process from the, from the father's side and understood all the, all the thoughts that went in it. It's an unbelievable community. When, you know, I've, I never in my, in my life realized how many people want to be a part of women or couples having babies. So you have same-sex couples now. So, so you know, two, two women married, both of them have a uterus. So really the big key there is finding, finding a sperm donor and seeing which one or both can carry a baby. In my mind, that's a bit easier than a couple with, with two men who now have to find somebody to grow the baby for them. And that's a, big, that's a big sacrifice, except I can rattle off five people right now that I know in my little town here who have done that for people, been surrogates, had babies for other couples that either were same gender couples and couldn't have babies or just couples that couldn't have babies for fertility reasons. There's that community. There's the community of women and men that donate their eggs and their sperm. Sperm banks have kind of been around for a long time because initially fertility was around just finding sperm donors. Well, egg donors are huge now too. And so you can look in a catalog, a sperm bank catalog, and you can meet all these men that have donated their sperm and, and you see what they look like and or what they did look like and what their characteristics are and their background and their illnesses and their family. You find it all out. Somebody's willing to not only give a part of their body, but share everything they have to share so that someone they will never meet can have a child. And they're at frozen egg banks now. And you look through catalogs and catalogs. Then there are also people that are willing to be live donors. Sometimes, sometimes eggs and sperm are better off for, for people if they're, if they're fresh, you know? There's that piece to fertility. And, and the, thing, the timing and the things that those couples go through to make conception work and then give the, the mother that grows the baby or the mother that will raise the baby the chance to be a mother. It's phenomenal. And then there's the me, the moms and the dads who go through all sorts of medical procedures to assess their reproductive equipment and where the strengths are and where are the weaknesses and what, what needs to happen to make this baby arrive. That's not a small group of people. That's not one doctor in an office. That's nurses, that's social workers, that's technicians, that's ultrasound techs, that's therapists and counselors. Oh, in this process, I met some of the most famous people who are working in a part of the medical community that, you know, is, is the one thing that when there is a, that has a lot of happy endings and, or in the sad endings often lead to, to different decisions that can produce happy endings. It's been an amazing, amazing process. If you're contemplating having a child later in life, do your research, you know, find doctors that specialize in older women, use my name, use this story to get your chance to take those first steps and try. And that doesn't mean it will work, but by all means, we as women should have the right to try. I just feel very, very strongly about that, that enough, enough of our lives are controlled, enough of everyone's lives are controlled. But when it comes to your body and your ability to raise a child or to grow a child and then raise it, I'm a firm believer that 
you know, I'm, I'm lucky. Dr. Cardoni is an angel to me because he looked at me first and not all the numbers on the chart. And he listened and he watched and he tested and he asked and he, and he listened again and then asked again, you know, it was, it was an incredible process to go through and I never once felt unsafe. And then I guess the final big piece of this is grief. You know, I brought a baby into a family that's decimated by child loss. We have two of the four children I, you know, raised in my belly when my belly aren't here. And it's impossible to put that in a box and make believe it doesn't exist. I cannot give Jack a fake, happy, happy life. Children and babies are intuitive. When I'm not right, when I'm having a bad Molly, Molly day, Jack knows it. He fusses. He's anxious. How do I make sure that I'm raising him in a healthy way in a house that's full of grief? Well, I'll tell you what I found. More houses than not have some form of trauma or grief. The only people that are truly happy are the, are the fake profiles on social media. <laughs> when you look behind the profile, all of us, all of us have struggles and trials and tribulations. Not a one person anywhere, it's free from trauma. And right now, even if you're lucky enough to have had a life where you haven't had any big things happen to you personally, turn the news on or scroll through Twitter or scroll through Facebook or Instagram or anything. And there's so many tragic things happening in the world. It's really hard not to be, it's hard not to be affected by those things. So grief. How do I, how do I be a grief-stricken mother and raise a happy, healthy baby that isn't going to spend his whole life for me? And I say, I just do it. I wake up every day and I do the best I can. I also try to include Molly and Jack. And I say, Jack, let me explain that in a minute. I try to include Molly and Jack and baby Gordy and several other children who live in heaven now, Marilee, Vinny, my other Molly. Oh gosh, there's so many, Izzy and David, Tyler. I can't name them all because I'll end up leaving someone out. I'm just thinking of off the top of my head, the, the mothers I know who have lost children, Ryan, you know, there's so many, so many on the other side. But for me, my personal group, and I've talked about them, I think as well, in my brain surgery time, Marilee, Vinny, Molly, Jack, and my Molly have been instrumental in my ability to move forward. And so, you know, I've spoken about when I decided to name my baby, that if Jack were a boy, he would be Jack after Jack Owen, Brandy's son, beautiful, beautiful Jack. And oh, Jack is a piece of our life. We talk about him all the time. And then Molly is a piece. And we talk about Molly and Jack and how sad it is that they're gone and how hard it is to be without them and how lucky we are, but that, that, they're with us. And I talk about all the kind things that I know about Jack and how awesome his mother Brandy is. And, you know, if Brandy and I were close before, which we were, we are so solid now. I feel like I have a, like, I feel like I have a sister, another sister that's just right there with me that understands my crazy and my sad and my frantic and knows what to say. And we have similar, we have similar histories. We have really unhealthy relationships, some narcissistic tendencies with the people we choose. And then we have some childhood abuse and chronic illness. We, we share so many things. The details are different, but the generalities are the same. And so all of the triggers and the things that come from having those things in your life. So what does this have to do with Jack? Well, everything, you know, we can't, I guess it's in our nature when something traumatic first happens to be paralyzed by it. And I feel that's our psychology. That's our brain's way of protecting us emotionally. When you break your leg, you know, you go into shock. All these hormones are sent to the injury so it doesn't hurt right then. You know, it swells up and the body does all these things to protect, to protect the injured area until it can get fixed or heal. And I think that our paralysis is much like not walking on a broken leg. You can't. You have to wait until it can bear your weight. And for me, 
I look at grief that way. I couldn't function until I could bear its weight, until I could walk around and function with the grief. And this, this is something that's different for everyone. I'm often asked, what would, I, what would I say to a mother who wanted to have a baby at my age? Take the first step. That's a very active, proactive thing to do. Oh, I'm 58 and I'd like to see if I can have a baby. Call the doctors, look around, go to the appointments, do what you have to do to make it happen. People ask me, what would you tell somebody who's just lost a child? What would you tell somebody who's paralyzed by grief? And for here, my biggest, my biggest piece of advice is to just sit with it for a while. Don't try to do anything in the beginning. Breathe, try to, I guess, eat properly. You know, Take care of yourself as best you can. Get through the things that you have to do. Molly died, Gracie was still here. I had to be her rock. I couldn't pronounce words properly for a long time. I was a disaster. But I had to sort of put that aside and be there for Gracie. Just the main reason I let so many things and people go in my life is it took every bit of energy I had to be there for her. That has been tremendous sort of training and preparation for mothering that. If you think having a baby after you've lost one doesn't bring back 9 million triggers of child loss, I, I could make a list. And I see this in my groups, especially for the moms that have lost babies. I think that's a bit more personal if they've had miscarriages late or, or had children that died from SIDS or were born sleeping and that's their their loss pattern. Pregnancy is incredibly traumatic. I had enough time in between Molly and Jack that those things weren't triggers of stress for me. They were much more like wonderful reminders of, of what it was like to be young and fertile. <laughs> so the grief piece for me with Jack in raising him is that I just have to really focus on being as healthy as I can. And that's not easy. I have a spiritual mentor that I don't utilize like I should. I have a grief, an online spiritual group that I don't participate in at all. You know, it's sort of the typical me. I, I say I'm going to do something and I don't really follow through. But I'll tell you what, they're right there. And some of the my best conversations are with the men and women in these groups, my grief groups and such. So will I cause damage to Jack because he's being raised by a mother who still, who still treads water in grief and trauma? No, I think I have to be mindful and focused on how to present that to Jack in a way that's real and in a way that matches his age. You know, as a health educator, I'm very, very good at explaining things at appropriate ages to children around bodies and life and what to expect. And I think I'll just have to do the same thing here. This is what I'll have to do with Jack. I'll have to find that balance and make sure that he's okay. So what does Jack know about his mother right now? Well, he knows that I feed him, whether it's with my breasts or a bottle. He knows that I love him and kiss him and sing to him all the time. He knows that when I'm busy, he goes to, to Kenny, his daddy, or he goes to Gracie, his sister, or he'll spend time with Nanny, his grandmother, or he'll go to big boy school and hang out with all his baby friends and the caretakers there. He knows that he's loved and he knows that he's living the best life. <laughs> he hates having clothes taken off and put on. He just gets so angry. But he's getting to the point now where when he's mad, he'll straighten his arms, which of course means the clothes go right on. You know, and I share, and I'll share a lot of things with Jack. I've, you know, this podcast is happening because of Jack. And part of what I like to share are things that people can transfer to their own lives. I have a really, really good friend, Jill, who lives in Colorado, and she uh, has raised her children. She has grandchildren. And she, she's one of those late in life, I, I still have plenty of life in me. I'm going to do things. She went to law school after her children were all grown up. And, you know, I remember in my Facebook memories came up about, I passed the bar. You know, it was just this big, exciting thing. And she didn't do that right out of college. She raised a family first. And she lives on this beautiful horse farm and she raises horses. And sometimes people will say, oh, I get so angry when people compare losing a child to losing an animal. 
Well, so do I sometimes, but I will say certain animals, and I think all animals, but certain animals really, really, really reach and get inside your heartstrings. And horses are my are a spirit animal for me. I love watching them run in slow motion. I wish I could sit in a field in the West and just watch wild horses running circles around me because I'd be mesmerized by it. I just find horses beautiful. I'm anaphylactically allergic to them. So I can't, I can't be inside a barn with the horse. I won't last very long, but I love them. And Jill went through recently went through the loss of like three, three horses and, and a fourth got really sick and she's devastated, like paralyzingly devastated. And she should be those big, beautiful animals that you pour yourself into. Karen, my spiritual mentor, mentor Karen Kenny has her furry, furry baby. She calls them and she just lost a dog that she'd had for a long time. And, and that whole union of that woman and that dog was a journey in and of itself. And they needed one another and they nurtured one another. And Sometimes I think babies are like puppies, you know, or like horses, you know, you, you get feedback from them that doesn't come in words. It comes in an expression. It comes in a posture. It comes in what you get when you hug them and what you give to one another. My friend Jill has a picture of her with, she's hugging her horse and that horse's head is wrapped around her body. It's the most beautiful thing. It made me cry. If my podcast and talking about Jack can give her support in her grief around her horses, then, then Jack is helping me and Molly in the, in the universe, show love and kindness to other people so that they can continue to be happy. And I feel like I feel a purpose that way. Somebody can relate my life to anything in their life, whatever it is. I met a friend, a person at a CrossFit competition, and we shared physical body issues and things that we've gone through that way. And this podcast, you know, gives hope to him. And now I'm helping somebody and it has nothing to do with the baby, but it has everything to do with the baby. Because of the baby, I'm here sharing these things. So as I, as I wrap up, <laughs> My first seven months of Jack being outside my belly and, you know, every day is the first day of the rest of my life. I guess my, my biggest, my biggest takeaway is that we shouldn't be limited by, by what we think we're supposed to do or what someone is telling us to do. But sometimes we have to sit and think about it and listen. <laughs> there are people listening to me, they're going to laugh because I'm not a good sitter. But when you hold a baby and they're nursing, you have to sit. You spend a lot of time with a new baby being stuck and sitting. And thankfully you're holding a baby. It's a nice distraction. but but I am learning every day to really, really look at the ways that Jack being here provides love and comfort to him and to us and to anyone that, that he comes in contact with, whether he meets them in the flesh or they hear about him here. I realize that all the hard work and the changed schedules and, and the losses, some of the friendship losses and the sacrifices are worth it because whatever, what, whatever reason the universe put him here. He's here and I think he's going to do wonderful things. So I'll wrap up here, sort of the end of season one. I feel pretty excited about it. Please, please continue to let me know what you think of the podcast and what, what you'd like me to talk about. You know, I'm going into Molly next time around, but that's going to involve a lot of things because now her friends come into play and efforts we're doing, you know, around her memory. So I have a lot of things I'm willing to bring up in podcast episodes and in season, and I would love to include you in them. So just a shout out to all of the people that have listened. My favorite thing so far with the podcast is getting a Facebook message or an email or a text message from someone that I haven't seen forever. Oh my gosh, I stumbled upon your podcast. I've been listening. Thank you so much. It's terrific. And then yesterday, my neighbor, oh, I've been listening to your podcast. I love it. I don't need people to love it. I just love the fact that people have found it and they're willing to take a listen. And hopefully they pull from it what they need because I don't know what that is. But if I can provide an avenue for them to figure it out, then we're winning. So as I always do, have a wonderful rest of your day. 
try to find a way to be good to yourself. Take a big breath and do something that makes you happy. You know, get your favorite ice cream somewhere or a delicious iced green tea with lavender and honey. Boy, that's delicious. Say thank you to somebody. Go to a locally owned business and buy, buy a pretty pretty dress. I don't know. <laughs> do whatever you like that makes you happy. And if you don't want to spend money, don't. I think one of my biggest wishes for all of us is to find a way to experience happiness. So thank you for listening to the first eight episodes. Here's to eight more and have a good day, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening and for supporting a thousand tiny steps. I hope you enjoyed the episode and will continue to listen. Feel free to leave a review and share my stories with your friends. Also, please reach out if you have stories to share. I love hearing from and connecting with my listeners. If you would like to know what I'll be talking about down the road, you can find me on Instagram at Barb underscore 444, on Facebook as Barb Higgins, and at my website, www.1000tinysteps.com.